It's the Not So Bon Voyage podcast, episode 66. On today's episode, we talk about being eaten alive by baby deers and getting accused of being a CIA spy. Grab your lie detectors and let's go. And then the train got lost. How does the train get lost when it's on rails? I just want to get out there in the wild. Well, it was in the itinerary. I mean, adventure, it's calling. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been excellent. Ahoy. Ahoy! What up, Voyagers? Episode 66 of the Not So Bon Voyage podcast. I'm Jules. I'm Christine. And thank you once again for joining us. And we're feeling a little punchy today. Why are we feeling punchy? <laughs> because we just are in a giggly mood. We I feel are like. in a giggly mood. It's taken us a couple of cuts because we just uh, <laughs> keep messing up. <laughs> we got the giggles. We tried to do the intro like five times, but we got there in the end. We got there in the end. <laughs> uh, we're keeping it, you know, fresh, keeping it live. You know, keeping fuck it, real. it. We're doing it live. Mm hmm. All right, today we have another Voyager chat, which we're very excited to jump into. It's a guy called Ray Blakeney. He has lived all over the world, grown up around the world. He has some crazy travel stories that take us literally all over the world, and we can't wait to jump into that. But before we do that, I wanted to do a special shout out to Sue, who got in contact with us over Instagram at Not So Bon Voyage and told us about some pesky bison up to no good again. Oh, it's always the bison. Or should I, I should say some tourists, really, because the yeah. bison are actually... They're, really, they're fine. They're just living their best bison life. It's always the humans that are messing with their jam. Yes, we tell countless stories about people who get too close to bison and end up getting uh, all kinds of things. They get flipped, they get stampeded, they get... But uh, this one really takes the pants. It takes the pants? <laughs> yes, I'm going to show okay. this video. Uh, it's crazy. I'm going to play it over so you guys can hear it as well. It's about a woman who gets a little too close to bison. Um before we do that, though, I want to thank Sue for sending in the story. She hit us up on the Instagram, as I said, and Sue also told us a little bit about her life. Sue makes wind socks, Christine. Do you know what they are? No. Wind socks <laughs> are those things that is literally, it's like a sock that flaps in the wind. They're at airports, but they're super important because they tell you which way the wind is going, and they, I guess they help the pilots a lot as they're coming down. Oh, that's so interesting. It's So, so I, I think I know what you're talking about. It's like kind of like a flag, but it's like cylindrical, so the you, the you know wind can go blow it <laughs> yeah yeah that's it and it tells you basically which direction the wind goes yeah super important i feel like if you're going to be landing a plane at an airstrip you would want to know i think so <laughs> i think wind definitely plays a part in landing of planes probably yeah. so sue actually hand sews these in a little town in northern nebraska wow that's She's a really cool she hand sews them that's incredible yes and she said she makes them from tiny like keychain wind socks all the way up to like big 12 foot wind socks that are flown at most major airports and she ships them all over the world and uh yeah that's cool that's a cool way to contribute to travel and she's also a traveler herself what a unique job i've never heard of that before yeah i know isn't that awesome though to, to know that that's a job that is still done like a, a handy craft you know like the skills of hand sewing and being a seamstress and making those wind socks yes absolutely it's cool when things are still made by hand because so few things really are these days yeah and sue's actually uh she became a traveler later in life and now she's uh, she's all over the place really that's yeah, awesome she's getting out and about and she listens to our podcast as she makes the wind socks when did she start traveling um at nearly 50 50 years old, she says. Wow, that's incredible. It, that just goes to show that it's never too late. A lot of people think like, oh, if I didn't go backpacking in my 20s or whatever, then it's too late. I can't do it. But you can go traveling at any age. It's never too late to start. Yeah, absolutely. So good on you, Sue. Thanks for sending that through. And uh, now I'm going to show you, Christine, a story called Bison Tosses Woman Out of Her Pants. Oh, wow. I can't wait to see this, this video. Like a dream photo. Oh, it's one of those inside edition ones. Oh, inside edition. Oh, okay, wow. so what do we got here? 
we've got a woman that is getting way too close to some bison. She's way, way too close. She seems fearless. Just a few yards, I would say. People are filming her on the street asking her what the F she's doing. She's not even taking pictures. She's just wandering around. Okay. Oh, my God. All right. We will put a link to this in our description. Okay. Whoa. Oh. A bison has hooked her pants with his tusk. She has no pants on? She has no pants on. Not anymore. <laughs> Whoa. Got too close. That was insane. Oh, my God. So the woman's jeans are now hanging off the antler of this bison. Whoa, that is crazy. So this is a story from uh, like in August this year. A woman got way too close to a bison. It must have charged her, somehow hooked its like horn, its antler into her pants, then was thrashing its head around. She was thrashing around with it. These things are so strong and eventually ripped her out of her pants. (laughs) That is wild. And then took off back into the herd and still had her hand, uh, her pants wrapped around his head. I wonder if, I mean, maybe he wanted to wear jeans. He saw all these people, tourists coming in and wearing jeans. And the bison's like, why can't I have jeans on? Okay, so you can see the you can see the bison rushing off with all its bison friends. Oh, the pants had her keys in in the pocket. This bison is walking around with jeans attached to his antler with her keys in the pocket. She's getting ragdolled. Yeah, that she would have a, some bruises after that. Whoa, oh. man. Okay, this is a crazy video. We'll uh, put a link to it in the description in the show notes at notsobonvoyage.com so you can check it out. But the woman did live after that incident. Yes. That was in South Dakota. So. Yeah. Well, they be hey, careful just, of the bison, man. Be careful of the bison. We could have a bison podcast, honestly, at this stage. Well, I think we should have bison merch where we represent the bison. And it's like, you know, shirts and different things that say 25 feet, motherfucker. <laughs> or maybe it's 25 yards. But whatever it is, you stay away from the bison. Yeah, Do not we'll, go close to the bison. We'll add it to our list of t-shirts we're going to make someday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, over the holiday, over the holidays, we may have some extra time, so we'll we'll see what we can we do. We might get a merch store up and running. Maybe we, still- we can get Sue to make some uh, to sew some things for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cheers, Sue. <laughs> no, we we will get some shirts going on. We know that some of you have asked about them. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What was the one? It was like the <laughs> something about being lost. Oh yeah, uh, not all who wander are lost, but most of them are. Yeah, that, that is still copywritten, and we will do that. TM. <laughs> TM. All right, guys, that's enough in the news for today. Uh, we're going to jump into our Voyager chat with Ray Blakeney and hear some of his crazy stories because he's got a lot to talk about. And he about. has an animal story as well. He does. Wild animal story. All right, let's jump into it, guys. See you on the other side. Hey there, Voyagers. We're here with Ray Blakeney. Ray is an award-winning Filipino-American entrepreneur who grew up in Turkey and lives in Mexico. He's traveled to almost 50 countries. As an entrepreneur and speaker, he spends two to three months out of the year traveling. Thanks for coming on today, Ray. Let's kick off today's episode with you telling the Voyagers a little bit about yourself and your travels. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, As you alluded to, I was born in the Philippines, like at 11 months old, I moved to Istanbul, Turkey, where I spent the next 15 years of my life. So technically, English is my third language. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it it looks really good on your college applications when you put that down, (laughs) but it's it's only a technicality. My first word was Turkish. I think a few days later, I said something in Filipino, and then a few days later, I said something in English. So, you know, on my SATs, I'm like, are you a native speaker? No. Um, But yes, yes, I kind of am. Um, And so I lived in Turkey until I was 15 years old. And then I went to the U.S., went to a boarding school, a prep prep school in New England, where I absolutely did not fit in at all. Um, Ended up studying college in the, you know, went to go to college in the United States, 
doing what you're quote unquote supposed to do after college and getting a job at a good company that pays your salary and gives you a 401k and health insurance. Did that for five years and decided, yeah, that's really not what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. So I quit it. I was making almost a six-figure salary as a computer programmer. I quit the job and I joined the Peace Corps and they paid me $150 a month. Um, Woo, you're killing Peace it. Corps. I know, I know. It's <laughs> living the high life. Exactly. Yeah, that's why they pay the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I end up getting sent to Mexico. Back when I applied for the Peace Corps, it's changed now. Apparently, you didn't get to pick where you went, right? You applied oh, really? and they would just say, okay, this is where they need you the most in the world. Do you want to go? They give you an option to say no, of course, but they don't give you an option <laughs> yeah. to say, no, no, I'd rather go somewhere else. So you would apply. They said, yeah, yeah Mexico. I thought I was going to Africa for the most most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, sure, why not? I'll go to Mexico. I don't speak a lick of Spanish, but people have been, you know, we were talking about earlier. I lived in San Francisco for a while. Everybody confused me for being Spanish for all the time, but I couldn't <laughs> speak a word of it. So I might as well learn some words. Um, and that's how I got sent to Mexico, where I ended up meeting my wife. And we got married, and I've been down here for the last 12 years, kind of as a home base. We still travel a ton. Wow. Nice. That's quite the journey. That's awesome. <laughs> so multicultural, like Filipino, growing up in Turkey, living in Mexico. It's so many cultures, especially at a young age, that transformative age where you're so impressionable and learning about different people. I think that's just such a cool way to grow up. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're growing up that way, I went to the international schools, right? So a lot of my classmates were the same. So I didn't even realize it was weird until I moved back <laughs> to the U.S., and people are like, really? I'm like, yeah, really? What, like, you guys didn't grow up in Turkey? What the hell? Like, Where'd you grow up then? You didn't have classmates from 30 different countries? I'm like, that was just a normal school year for me. Um, and I didn't realize it was something unusual until I moved back to the United States. And I ended up, I went to undergrad in Ohio. And wow, yeah, Ooh, I met yeah. people who had never left Ohio in their lives. I'm like, really? It's a one-hour drive to the border. You can just go over and come back by lunch. No, they, they never left Ohio in their lives. Wow, pa- passport. Crazy. What is this document you speak of? <laughs> you know, only forty percent of Americans actually have passports. I found that out. Yeah, later. we have. Oh, we have yeah. heard that. Yeah, like, that's, that's crazy. Sad. Yeah. yeah. So. Man, so how many languages do you speak? Uh, I speak four and a little bit of English. <laughs> You're pretty good. Yeah, I can understand I can you. Fake it pretty well, right? So, yeah, yeah. If anyone needs translation, uh, yeah. <laughs> Although I'm not the person. Everyone, yeah. no one understands me over here. That's true. <laughs> People have so much trouble, especially if we're like in a drive-through or anything where they can't actually see his face. They're so confused. They're like, "What are you saying, sir? We can't understand your crazy accent." Yeah, and now with wearing masks as well. Like if people can't see my my lips moving, they're like, "I, I don't understand." They just give up. They just like, "I don't understand what you're saying." <laughs> I think it's English, but I'm not sure. I'll be honest. My my wife, you know, she studied, she went to college. She's Mexican. She went to college in the United States. So she speaks fluent English. Yeah. She says Australian is the hardest accent for her to understand as well. She has a lot of trouble with Australian accents. Yeah. She's, British is not so bad, but I think it's because she's watched a lot of Downton Abbey and she just really oh, yeah. got used to the British accent when she was doing that. So that's a good way to learn how to understand accents. I, guess so, TV I think that's pretty high level British accent too. I mean, <laughs> that's uh, true. Most Brits don't speak that way. I don't think. Yeah, very proper. Unless you're exactly. hanging out with the Queen, it's not going to be that. Kind <laughs> it hasn't of happened yet. I'm still waiting for that invitation to Buckingham Palace, right? <laughs> Any day now. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, before we jump in, we've got some great stories to go through with you today. Before we do that, we're going to warm up with our not so fab five rapid questions just to get the juices flowing. And I'm going to start off with the first question, which is, what is the worst thing that you've ever eaten on your travel? Smoked ants. Smoked ants. Okay. Explain this. How did they smoke them? <laughs> uh, actually, I've never saw how they cooked them. They sell them in paper bags in southern Mexico. Generally, it's it's in parts of Guatemala and where I was serving in the Peace Corps in Chiapas, which is one of the poorest state in Mexico. So I was down there, and we went to the market one day, and it was my girlfriend, who's now my wife at the time. She's like, "Oh, have you tried these?" I'm like, "No." 
So we ordered them because I'll try anything at least once. And she gave them to me and they tasted like I put a charcoal briquette in my mouth and I chewed on it. And it was awful, <laughs> awful. She loved it. She did down the whole bag. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not eating any more of those things. I had tried grasshoppers before. Um, I tried scorpions on a stick when I was in China. They just didn't taste as bad as this. The scorpions wow. took just, more mental work for me to actually put them in my mouth, but they tasted better. I just don't understand what nutritional value you're getting at an ant level. <laughs> Apparently, like the a fiber is good. I don't know. I, I I haven't googled like the nutritional makeup of a you know of an ant, yeah. right? So I, how many ants do you need to get? That's the thing. Like, they were pretty big so bags. They're like popcorn size? bags. I mean, these are de- you know a small popcorn bag. So you just sit there and they they you know they put chili on it because they put chili sauce on everything here in Mexico. And people would just do it. So put, put people put lemon and salt on them, mm-hmm. and they would just down those things. I guess. Yeah, but we've yeah, eaten a lot me. of we've eaten a lot of bugs. You know, yeah, same thing. Southeast Asia crickets in Mexico and stuff. Haven't really seen ants on, on the menu though. So we'll have to keep an eye look out. out for Add it to your to-do list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where yeah. were you in Chiapas? I was actually stationed in San Cristobal de las Casas. So if you've been there, yeah. it's pretty sweet. Peace That's an amazing That is spot. a good place to be based I spent two and a half years living down there. We still love it. My wife and I talk about retiring there. It's uh, so beautiful. It's a great spot. We, we spent about three months down there, uh, probably about seven or so years ago, and we've gone back there a few times over the years. It's one of our favorite spots. Southern Mexico, I feel like, is such an underrated spot. It's Nobody's incredible. even heard of this place. Um, Europeans actually are a lot more common in San Cristobal than you know, Germans. Americans. Yeah, Germans, Germans are there. A lot of Argentinians. There were a lot of like Argentinian mm. restaurants. But they also had a really good Indian. There's a really good Indian restaurant there that was owned by a Sikh family that's just been living there for the last 20 years, but it's authentic food from where they're at. Mm. Really good Italian restaurant run by an Italian guy when I was there. Um, he served really yeah. cheap wine. So walking home from his place was kind of rough <laughs> some nights because he would just keep, keep filling you in. It was a wonderful place. To, I mean, the culture, the experience, you know, it's a mix between indigenous, just the landscape. You're surrounded by green mountains the whole time while you're there. It's wonderful. I like that kind of weather, you know, rainy a little bit and the sun comes mm-hmm. out. So it, yeah, yeah, I got really lucky in my Peace Corps post. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For anyone who, who has not heard of this place before, check it out. It's San Cristobal de las Casas in southern Mexico in Chiapas is an incredible travel spot. Yeah, mm-hmm. go to Chiapas. There's a lot to see down there. It's yeah. really beautiful. Tons, tons. Okay, now that we've talked about what you love in Mexico, uh, what is your least favorite country that you've been to? Nicaragua. Really? Okay, yes. tell me more because I've been there. I, I, I It wasn't my favorite country, but it's definitely not my least favorite country. Yeah, so... There were at least twice. I've gone backpack through starting in Costa Rica all the way back to Mexico twice. I, I did down and back once. And then the other second time I flew into San Jose and I made my way up. So I've kind of done different routes kind of back into Mexico. Um, this was back in the Peace Corps days. So, yeah, nothing fancy uh, for those who've been in Central America. You know, King Quality was the highest, you know, Tika bus, which are these like double decker buses, was the highest quality you would do. Nicaragua, honestly, was the only country in Central America where I did not feel safe. And as I mentioned, I'm not a small guy. Uh, you know, I practice martial arts, I work out. I mean, I didn't, don't feel like a target. One of the times I was going through, I was going through with a friend of mine from San Francisco. Um, nicest guy you're ever going to meet, but he looks like a lineman from, you know, on an American football team. <laughs> and we did not feel safe in certain parts of Nicaragua at night. There was one part we went to, oh, I can't remember the name of the town, but it was a surf town in Southern Nicaragua. And San we Pedro were, Sula. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so we were there and, we were just sitting out at night kind of in front of this place that served these really good smoothies, like banana smoothies with chocolate. And we were just kind of trying those out. And then the, the owner, who was a foreigner, came up. He's like, you guys better get out of here. There's a gang walking around the streets with machetes, and they're looking for people to rob. Go back to your house. Wow. <laughs> um, and we had a few other incidents, nothing like really endangering us, but we kind of 
another time we were in, I believe it was Managua, and we were waiting to, to transfer buses. So we had to stay in a, like a, I'm going to call it a hotel, but there were these houses that you rented out. This is pre-Airbnb days um, that was near the bus station. So our bus for, I don't know, Tegucigalpa or something like that left at two in the morning. So we were kind of getting up and the lady who ran the house was helping us out. We opened the door and we look outside and she's got one of those little windows in the doors. Like you kind of open up at eye level just to see what's out there. She looked out and across the street. There was this guy with this mask around his face, kind of hidden in a door. Not very well. I mean, you could see him, had a knife in his hand. <laughs> yeah. He was just looking up and down the street waiting for people. And wow. we're just looking at him like, I can see you, <laughs> you know, and so we had to take a taxi two blocks away to, to the bus station, two blocks from there. They charged us $30 just wow. because you couldn't walk down the street to the thing. So Nicaragua, we had a lot of things That's like that bad. happen to us. Yeah. Managua is pretty sketchy. Managua is definitely sketchy. Yeah. yeah I mean, we, we, we went we up to Granada. That was nice. And, you know, you, when, when you're out there. Um, Leon. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. There, there, It's not. Yeah. Nothing happened. But yeah. I've never felt unsafe when I've traveled, and I've traveled most of the world. And that was the only place where I was like, yeah, there's certain, I would not go out at night here at all. And what year, what year was that? Oh, 2007-ish, um, 2008-ish, yeah. around that time. Yeah. Yeah, so Maybe it's gotten better. Well, yeah, yeah. A lot, I mean, a lot of those places like El Salvador, you know, they're, they're, they're countries that have been – had so much civil unrest as well, and they have such a, you know – checkered history in terms of like civil war and and then also like crime and corruption and like a lot of Central American countries, but they are sort of progressively getting better. But yeah, definitely a lot sketchier back in the day. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, yeah, nothing happened and I've heard other people love it, but just for me, that's the one country I'm just like, yeah, that's. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. You don't want masked men with uh, machetes. Exactly. <laughs> messing exactly. With you. Like, Give me yeah. lunch money. Give me your smoothie money. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was a Peace Corps volunteer. You robbed me. You're just practicing, right? I mean, I, I had no money on me. So yeah. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, number three, what is the most overrated landmark or attraction that you've visited? Empire State Building. Yep. Okay, that's a good one. That's a yep. good one. Not, I'm just not impressed. <laughs> not not impressed. even the tallest building in New York City anymore. I'm like, really? Why do people, they charge you like a ton? You wait in line to go to the top. Yeah, I'm not impressed. Yeah. Fair enough. It's kind of one of those things you feel like you have to do when you're in New York City, but then you do it and you're like. That's it. I took my wife like a few years ago as well. I did this as a kid and I thought it was cool, you know, because yeah. everybody wants to do the Empire State Building. But then we did this with my wife and I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, we could have gone across the street to that taller building. It's free. They probably <laughs> let us go up in their elevators for free and just look out the office windows. So yeah, yeah. I was but, not impressed. But then there's like, if you tell somebody, it's like, oh, what did you do in New York? Especially if you're a tourist, it's like, oh, you know, I went to the Empire State Building. Or it's like, oh, I went to Building 56. Oh, what's yeah. that? Well, it's technically it's the tallest, but it's uh, yeah, it's called Building Fifty Six. Yeah. I'm more unique than you. I, you know, I, I did my own thing while we were there, right? So, yeah. yeah. Oh, you guys haven't heard of Building Fifty Six? Oh, dude, you got to get on it, man. There. <laughs> nice. Okay, what is the worst place you've ever slept on your travels? Yeah, um, a tire at the back of an old refurbished school bus in Nicaragua. Um, oh. it was, yeah, I was coming in from Costa Rica, and we crossed over to a place called Caño Negro. And this was actually, it was New Year's. So it was an interesting story. We kind of got there. And to cross this border, you have to take boats through a marsh, right? Because it's kind of the northern part of the lake um, that's there. And when we had to bribe the people to take us a boat, it was New Year's. And they're like, nobody's leaving for three days. And I'm like, yeah, we can't wait three days. I mean, I got to get back in a certain amount of time. So we did that. And then we caught the first bus that was leaving the next day from the town they dropped us off at, to which was like a 14 or 15 hour bus ride that left at night. And, it, you know, they super packed the bus. It was an old yellow school bus from the United States. We didn't know better. So we got there like on time. 
Yeah, but then the bus totally, like, there's no seats left if you arrive on time. <laughs> yeah. So they yeah. put us in the back. You know, there was a little space that was, like, some of the people's bags. And we're talking, like, potato sack bags. And I got mm-hmm. stuck on the tire. And I had this, I had a 13-hour <laughs> ride on the tire on what the Lonely Planet called the worst highway in Central America. We literally went wow. through potholes that were the size of craters, and it had rained. And the school bus water started coming in through the sides because oh my God. they're not waterproof, these buses. I mean, you know, they're just like soldered on. So like you'd pick up your feet in the middle of the night because you'd have like puddles of water forming on the bottom of your school bus. You're just in that tire floating down the <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what, That would have been more comfortable than probably what I was doing. Um, yeah. So that was probably the worst place I quote unquote slept because I used the word loosely in that case. Tried yes. to sleep. Tried to Attempted. sleep, exactly. Yikes. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, last question. Have you ever pooped your pants while traveling? No, but I was really close in the Summer Palace in Beijing. <laughs> I feel like no, but I was really close is the definition of this question. Exactly. <laughs> people, we've only had a handful of people admit to it. Uh, all right, what happened? What happened there? So I, I spent about three months backpacking in China back in 2005, 2006, something around there. My my sister. My, Spent two years teaching English in China, right? So I took an opportunity. I went to visit her. She was near Xi'an where the terracotta soldiers were. So the first like two, three weeks, she showed me around. But for the last little bit, I did it by myself, right? Because I thought I knew what I was doing um, at that point. I don't speak a lick of Chinese. I mean, not a word. I couldn't read a single sign, all that kind of stuff. So I was looking for the summer palace pre-Uber days, right? So you, I was given instructions on how to take public transportation. Did not work out so well, but I apparently ended up about three kilometers away. And somebody, because everybody always wants to practice English in China, is like, yeah, I'll practice a little English with you if you like walk a few blocks. <laughs> I'll, I'll indulge you on this. Exactly. <laughs> I'll walk a few blocks, just practice English with me, and I'll kind of show you the general direction we want to go in. So he kind of got me close, and I was really hungry by that time because I was a lot later than I thought I was going to be. So I saw these people selling, you know, meat on a stick in the street. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about good. That sounds good. Um, smelled really good. So I went over and got a few pieces of this meat. Don't ask me what it was. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> good old and, mystery street meat. Exactly. Mystery street meat. It's <laughs> sometimes the most, it was pretty good. I mean, it tasted delicious. Um, yeah, but my stomach didn't think so. So, you know, I ate that 30 minutes later, I was in the summer palace. So I love, I mean, I thought it was beautiful. I mean, you know, you kind of go there, there's a big lake in the middle. There's the area you kind of walk into in the beginning, which is where most of the tourists go and the tour groups go, but it's actually a lot bigger than that. So you can just walk like, you know, 200 feet, 300 feet outside of it. And there's actually this parks that just go on for kilometers and nobody goes there at all. Right. Cause it's kind of outside of the tourist circuit. So I decided to kind of go out there. And one of the parts was kind of on an Island. They have these little islands there over those, I think they're called moon bridges. So you take a few moon bridges to get there. I took a book to read because I'm like, somebody told me, me and my sister, she said, yeah, you can go there and just hang out and read. So I was going to read for a few hours. And yeah, about 15 minutes into reading, the stomach, as all of us recognize, start making those weird noises. They're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the Uh-oh. gears are turning. They're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something's <laughs> not right here. I'm like, okay, I can, I can, I can put up with it. Keep on reading. Keep... Yeah, five minutes later, I'm like, no, I can't. So I get up and I look around. Like, there's no bathrooms anywhere. The only right. bathrooms I know of were back at the entrance, which is, you know, let's say about almost a mile back. So you see me, you know, running over the moon bridges as fast as I can go, <laughs> knocking over all these old Chinese ladies off the bridge as I was running, trying to get, get out of my there. way. <laughs> I get to the bathroom and there's a huge line out front. I didn't care. I cut in line. I ran in there. Some kid kind of got out of a stall. I jumped in the stall, closed it. So I go to the bathroom. <laughs> People are just slamming on the door on the outside. Oh it was like, God. you know, complaining that I was in there in the bathroom. I was there like for 40 minutes because I had to do it. So that is my... 
my story. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. But yeah, so, yeah, I know you're not story. happy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I left the Summer Palace after that. I'm like, I'm not, I don't even want to be on these grounds. There's probably a picture of me that's still there. Don't let this guy back into Summer Palace ever from like 10 years ago. Never let him use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Forbidden. <laughs> wow. Close call, but yeah, it was glad close. you made it. It was close, yeah. <laughs> Okay, now that we're warmed up with our not-so-fab five questions, let's get into your not-so-bon voyages. So it sounds like you have a lot of crazy stories from your travels, and you have a few you're going to tell us today. So let's start with the time you were almost eaten by a herd of deer in Nara, Japan. All right, let's, let's really paint the picture for the voyages yeah. with this one. <laughs> yeah, we need more details. I know, and a lot of my stories involve animals. Now, I love animals. I've got to I got a black, thirteen-year-old black lab running around the house right now. I grew up with animals. Oh. For some reason, wild ones or quote-unquote wild ones don't seem to like me very much. Um, <laughs> so this story was in Japan. Now Japan is probably our favorite country in the world for my wife and I. I mean, if we could pick a place to live, you know, we would pick Japan. We've looked into visas. Yeah, it's easy to visit unless you get a job. There's really no way to, you know, for foreigners to move there. Unfortunately. Mm. So we were there, we'd spent, I think that was the last big trip we did before together, um, before COVID hit. And so we were there in Nara, Japan. Um, it's a city that's a little outside of Kyoto. So you take, you can take a bus from, you take a train from Kyoto to get to Nara. And it's so close to the city. You won't even kind of feel one city end and the other one begin, right? It just, you're suddenly in Nara. So you get off and Nara is known for two things. First thing is it's got the largest wooden Buddha, I believe in the world, in Japan, definitely, but it might be in the world. So it's in this big temple. And the second thing it's known for is domesticated deer. There are thousands of mm. them walking around the city. They will cross the street. If you've ever seen like those videos on Facebook of this deer, it goes up to like a stop sign, goes up to a crosswalk, waits, and all the cars stop and he just crosses the street. That's actually Nara, Japan. I think I have seen those. That's yeah, awesome. I mean, yeah, they're all, they're all over Facebook. Nara Japan is known for this because deer is the sacred animal of this area. They are entirely, quote unquote, domesticated. You can go up to these deer, put your arm around them, and, you know, they won't do a thing. You pet them, you know, they might actually really? come up to you. Yeah, they'll move out. You know, you walk in the street. They will not get out of the way for you. You kind of have to let them, though. So they'll be walking in the city. But around the temple and in the park around it, that's where most of the herds live. So you might see an individual one through the city, but you're not allowed to touch them. You're not allowed, you're not allowed to hurt them, right? They're not hunted or anything. And they're trained. So you raise your hand in the air like this and they all bow. So it's kind of really cool. They kind really? of, they'll bow Whoa. their heads. So they're little deer. They're not as big that's as cool. what we're used to in the US, right? They're not as tall as me. They came up about to my waist, maybe a little bit farther. So what we did when we got there, we went there for a day trip and we decided to do a bike tour. It was kind of a rainy day. Um, so the bike, the guy was on the bike tour said, do you guys want to cancel? Like, no, we like the rain. He probably hated us for that. So what he did is he gave us, you know, those like plastic bag raincoats. Exactly. So we got one of those. Um, we do start doing the tour. So we go around the temple, all the rest of it. Then we stop at a sake place, but apparently not as known for sake. My wife doesn't drink very much, but she loved, she discovered in Japan, she loves sake. So, you know, we were, (laughs) we were tasting different kinds of sake. Um, (laughs) Getting shit-faced. Ex- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, and really, my wife's a lightweight. Getting shit-faced is like three three, shot, three mini shots. And sake is strong as well. It is. It? You don't feel yeah. it, right? Because yeah. it's so smooth when it goes down. Then you stand up and you're like, whoa, you're like, wait whoa. a minute. <laughs> exactly. So we had to go on bikes after that, right? So we were kind of getting on our bikes and we're kind of going down the streets. Um, we had to go back through the park to get to the train station, kind of it was the end of our tour. So we go back through the park and we see a herd of deer that's there. And so our guide tells us, hey, you want to feed the deer? He takes it out and he gives you these like little wafers that are, I don't know what they're made of, but you know, so we take out the wafers and, you know, like potato chips, it's got those crink, crinkling 
noise, right? Yeah. And the deer know what that is. But suddenly, like 50 deer are like running across the field towards me. <laughs> you, like, know, you got wafers? You got wafers? Yeah, yeah, you got wafers. So I was like, okay, great. And I had about a dozen wafers. So I start giving them out to the deer. I'm like, this is awesome. They're all around me. Yeah, 50 deer, a dozen wafers. The math does not add up. <laughs> so I gave out a dozen. And then the other deer kind of look at me and you can kind of see them start squinting their eyes like, hmm. I didn't get a wafer. <laughs> so what they start doing but is he got a wafer. Then he got one. one. <laughs> you didn't give me one. So I'm sitting there in this, you know, this plastic poncho, right? They start eating my poncho. Oh my oh, god! So it's like if you don't have wafers, we're just gonna eat whatever that is on you because it's kind of flapping around. So I have about a dozen deer like biting around me, trying to rip this poncho. Oh they pretty much god. took the whole thing off of me. Luckily, none <laughs> of them actually bit me. But you know, oh my god, that's hilarious. I was kind of sitting there like. This is I'm good. I'm gonna die this way. I'm gonna be die, be eaten by Bambi. I'm like, you know, this is crazy. So, yeah, I was sitting there, and you know, my wife was not helping. She was actually laughing, and I'm pretty sure she got a video. Of it. She, she was just taking a video You're of like, me Help. being attacked by deer. Good wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was just kind of sitting there, and then they kind of look at me when I'm, they ran out of poncho. I think I had you know like one strip of the poncho just hanging around my shoulder. They kind of look at me, and they just all walk off as if nothing had happened whatsoever. So that's my incident wow. of almost being eaten by, you know, cannibal deer in Nara, Japan. Wow. And wow. they just ate the plastic. They just ate the plastic. They were very well controlled. They didn't even, you know, they didn't get to my shirt or my skin. They just ate the whole plastic thing off of me. I probably wow. heard you crinkling them around, and they're like, that must well, have been it's it. not wafers, but, uh, you know, it'll do. This is a new package. You know, this is a different packaging. There's got to be something good inside. Let's take it off. Yeah. So. Wow. That's hilarious. That's... What a way to go. Yeah. Death by deer. Eaten alive by deer. I, I probably would have been famous by the end, you know, if that had happened. Not the way I wanted to, but yeah, that, that would have made news stories, I'm sure. So Absolutely. Yeah. It'd be a very slow death, I feel like, especially like small deer, just slowly <laughs> taking bites at little gentle bites. It's like being killed with a butter knife, right? I mean, that's pretty much yeah. what it's been the equivalent. So, <laughs> wow, nice. that's hilarious. All right, why don't we why don't we head back to Mexico? Because you've also got another story about being accused of being a CIA spy while living in southern Mexico. So we're we're definitely intrigued to hear about this one. Yeah. So this is back in my Peace Corps days, right? So I got here to Mexico, and the way that the Peace Corps works in Mexico is they partnered up with the equivalent of the National Science Foundation, right? So they would send us out to work at these different science centers. I was the first volunteer they'd ever sent to this science center in Chiapas, and unbeknownst to me, there was like this internal power struggle going on between the director and this other person who wanted to be director. So the director obviously invited the Peace Corps in, wanted to have volunteers. And the other guy did not like that. So he reported to one of the national newspapers called La Jornada that there were CIA spies infiltrating the, um, the science center to try to steal the scientific information. First wow. off, <laughs> it was obviously false because like the National Science Foundation in the U.S., their research is public domain. Is it's, it's you know since it's paid for by the government, none of this research is proprietary anyway. Anybody could just walk in there and just ask, and they should <laughs> they have to give it to them. But you know, it sounded a lot better in the paper that there was the CIA spy in a key position in a science center in southern Mexico. Um, so when I was there, people started protesting in the entrance. Luckily. Uh, you wow. guys can't see me because I'm in a podcast, but I'm half Filipino, so I look Mexican. Um, so I was able to walk in and out of that every day. There was like these protesters, you know, saying, you know, kick out the gringos, kick out the gringos. And I was like, I and you're like, yeah, true, right kick them out. Like, yeah, I, I took a sign and I just walked in with them. Too. Like, you know. So um, they would not, they, they didn't recognize me, right? So I was able to keep a pretty low key until the U.S. ambassador decided, hey, this is a great time to visit San Cristobal de las Casas. 
and I want to meet the Peace Corps volunteers who are here. So once again, I had to show up, you know, to this restaurant in downtown San Cristobal de las Casas, protesters all out front, the news trucks with those big, you know, satellite dish kind of things. And there were protesters and they were like, you know, pushing up against the fence. And I had to walk through that to get to a restaurant to have a photo op with the U.S. Oh ambassador. God. And honestly, it was really embarrassing because they had indigenous people giving talks. But like the whole U.S. ambassador crew was just like getting drunk and not paying attention to this guy who was super nervous in the fun and talking about his indigenous community. And me being in the Peace Corps, you know, I was working with these people. So it was actually very embarrassing. That was another part of it. It was super embarrassing. Even though it was scary to get in there, I was embarrassed to be associated with them on multiple wow. levels while I was there. So yeah, that's my CIA incident. And then the story just died out. There's no like resolution to it where suddenly they said, oh, no, you're fine. You're not a CIA spy. Um, the director that brought me in, lost the position. The new one got into place. He didn't care. He's like, just run out your term and we're not going to invite any more Peace Corps volunteers here, but you can continue here. And then the whole story just died out and everybody forgot about it. Wow. That's so crazy that a rumor can then get published in the press and then it just causes this huge uproar of protests and everything. <laughs> and this and was pre like big social media days, right? I mean, this is what, 2006? I mean, it's not Facebook did exist, but it's not like today where, you know, you yeah. can just put any news story and it goes viral. This took a right. little bit of concerted effort on their part wow yeah. so when people read newspapers well exactly yeah. when was that <laughs> yeah. i remember those days <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a long time ago <laughs> yeah newspapers yeah. <laughs> wow that's crazy i'm glad you were safe but what yeah what an awkward position to be put in that's, yeah i'm glad i'm not like my dad who's blonde blue-eyed and six foot three he, he would not have been able to blend in like me so he's the spy <laughs> exactly. yeah, Get it's, him. it's like wearing a sign on him right yeah nobody could tell i was warner Wow, that's hilarious. <laughs> so the Peace Corps, so so just going back to something we talked about earlier, so the Peace Corps don't let you pick a spot. So, sorry, they didn't let you pick a spot, but they do now. Like, how's that, how's that changed? Um, this happened about three or four years ago, so I'm not exactly sure on the process. But right now, you can actually give your preference, I think, of the top three spots. So if you don't fit into the first one, they'll get you to the second or the third one. Um, but back when I was doing it, back when my dad did it, you didn't actually get it. It was... It was part of, I think, the selection process before in that you you had to be willing to serve anywhere in the world. They didn't want somebody who was going with kind of a maybe another reason to go mm -hmm. there. And if so, if you had to choose, um, if you were saying, no, hey, I'm looking for a cushier position, for example, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I refuse until I'm, you give me that cushy position, that might not be the right kind of person for the Peace Corps, right? And right. I think they were using that as a filter. If you're willing to serve you know, out in the middle of Africa in a place with no electricity, you'll probably function as a Peace Corps volunteer anywhere in the world. And that's the yeah, kind of person okay. we're looking for. That's my yeah. guess. They didn't, they don't yeah, say. Okay. I guess I should, we should probably preface this by saying, cause there's a lot of people who wouldn't know what the Peace Corps is. Do you want to give us a quick recap? Because we do have a lot of listeners from around the world. Um, yeah. I kind of just thought I was like, Oh yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I know. Point. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. don't have the Peace, we don't have the Peace Corps in Australia, but I'm familiar with it because we've worked with a lot of volunteers, but I guess do you want to give us a quick rundown of what it is. Sure. So the Peace Corps is, yeah, uh, I definitely agree with it because when I told my friends I was joining the Peace Corps in Ohio, they're like, what part of the military is that? Um, so, yeah, like, no, no, not at all. Um, it's the opposite. Exactly. So the Peace Corps is an organization started by John F. Kennedy um, back in the 60s. And it's an organization that has three goals. Um, and I can't remember them verbatim. But the main goal of the Peace Corps is two things. So first is they send Americans um, overseas to countries that are in need to find out what the need is and help where they can. So it's not like a lot of aid organizations in that they have this like big, you know, 
the World Food Program, right? Where it's, we're here to help with the food scarcity, right? The Peace Corps is more about sending you to the community. You learn the community. And if there's anything you can do that you think you can assist them with, then that's your task for the next two years, right? They have ideas because they kind of know what the, the community needs, but you, you kind of, that's a lot of it. Um, and then the second part of the Peace Corps is for Americans to learn about other cultures and bring that culture back to the United States and kind of educate people back in the United States how things really are in these other cultures because a lot of people just know foreign countries from television, right? So they have a very skewed view of what that's called. That's the, that's the third goal. I'm definitely familiar with that one. Um, and that's what it's bringing it back is. So it's a two-year service. You get paid at the level of the people you're living with or you're working with. So, you know, you won't be poor by local standards, but, you know, wherever you get. No, it's not a career. It's not, you don't, you're not going to be making bank from it. No, no. In fact, I mean, they give you survival level, right? I mean, it's enough yeah. for your food and that. Most Peace Corps volunteers will say that we have enough money to travel on public transportation and see the country while we're there. I mean, no, no fancy hotels or anything, but part of the, but the great thing that the Peace Corps does is it teaches the language wherever you're at. So you're able to get on public transportation, whatever country you're in and interact with the locals, which is something very unique, especially if you get sent to some more rural places and, you know, the South Pacific or, you know, if you're in the islands of Yap, I met a Peace Corps volunteer from there and I attached, you know, I'm pretty well traveled. I'm like, where the heck is Yap? I had no idea. Never heard of it. Neither did I. I'm like, yeah, so it's, it's part of the Micronesia. Apparently, it's okay. an island in Micronesia. I had never go. heard of it. Um, and he, this was an older Peace Corps volunteer who was already 60s. Like, yeah, back then, what we would say, if you got lost on a boat, they just say, go east, you know, follow the sun east, and eventually you'll hit the Philippines in seven days. And that's how you get rescued. Because there's nowhere you're going to find Yap again. It's too small in the ocean that if you try to find it, you'll never find it. Um, wow. But that's what the Peace Corps does. It opens up your world. It shows you cultures you really get to get immersed in the culture and if you're lucky you get to help out a little bit but i'll be honest like two years you guys are in the aid field um showing up and from zero to 24 months is not really enough time to make a huge significant impact on whatever community mm -hmm. you're in the impact yeah. that i find that the peace corps does is a lot of these people maybe have never met somebody from the united states before and like people in the u.s they think americans are what they see on tv um and this way they get to meet an American in person interact with it. And on the other side is when you go back and you get to tell people back in your country, this is really how the people in this part of the world are and kind of educate them a little bit more. That's kind of the mission of the Peace Corps. Don't do it for the money because yeah, they give at the end they give you two thousand dollars to you know to get relocated, but that's not even the down payment. You know, that's not like one month's rent in most places in the US anymore. So I don't <laughs> yeah, know what you're seriously. gonna get with that. So right. It's a great program for a cultural ex exchange and exactly. to learn tolerance and to build mm -hmm. tolerance like within communities as well. It's Yeah, we've met some – yeah, I, I think you made a good point. Like we've met a lot of good um, peaceful volunteers along the way and they've had varying degrees. I think it depends on where they are and in mm -hmm. terms of success. Some of them have been led very successful projects, but then some of them have said the same thing like, you know, long-term community development in some of these places takes a long-term you know, like longer than just two years. And especially when you, you just get in there from the start and you're like, hey, I'm here to do this. And they're like, okay, cool. And then by the time That's not start, what we need. I'm like, yeah, they'll, they'll yeah. tell you. You can go in with all the best ideas in the world. And they're like, no, we don't need that. You know, right. we need this. Or like my idea when I first got in was like teaching a bit of programming. Um, and then, yeah, like half the people couldn't read or write. I'm like, yeah, that was not a good idea on my part. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm getting way ahead of myself, right? So it, it's, it, kind of fills this gaps of ignorance. And a lot of people from the Peace Corps go into the field you guys are in. They go into aid afterwards. You know, I have a lot of friends, my Peace Corps, like USAID, um, different aid organizations, World Food Program and all the rest. Um, Peace Corps is usually a, um, a lot of times is a stepping stone to kind of mm -hmm. get into the aid work afterwards. Right. 
Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. Wow. What's some, you got some crazy stories and uh, it was awesome to chat today. We want to thank you as we wrap up for coming on to the Not So Bonfire podcast. And uh, why don't you tell the Voyagers where you, they can find you, any projects you're working on and pimp yourself out. It's your time to shine. Okay. Sounds mm-hmm. good. But Well, shine, that's a lot of pressure. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> um, but let's see. So my... My biggest project is my wife and I, after the Peace Corps, actually, we started a, a small little business called LiveLingua.com. It's an online language school. It's been 12 years, and now we're the third largest online language school in the world. And we're the only one that doesn't have millions of dollars of VC money from your neck of the woods in San Francisco um, that's you know, being pumped into it. So we're like the only mom and pop operation kind of going up against the big boys. So if anybody wants to learn any languages with tutors, Spanish, English, French, we have tutors for all of the most popular languages in the world. And for the least less popular ones, we have something called the Live Lingua Project. This is part of my third goal for the Peace Corps, which is bringing foreign cultures home. Um, I have taken all of the Peace Corps language material, which is public domain, and put it for free on our website. You want to learn Kiswahili? We got a course for free. You want to learn Maasai? We have a course for free. Ikpatan, we have a course for free. We also have free Spanish courses, Quechua courses. You guys mentioned you were in Peru. Um, Tagalog courses. So if you guys are learning, looking to learn a language, LiveLingua.com is the place to go. And my new project is something called PodcastHawk.com, Hawk the Animal, H-A-W-K.com. And it's actually a, a piece of software that helps you get booked on podcasts, which is how I found you guys. Awesome. Um, so it's a search <laughs> engine for podcasts that kind of helps you get booked on podcasts that are the right fit for you. So kind of right now, if you're looking for a podcast to get booked on, if you try to search on iTunes, it's awful, right? I mean, iTunes, you can't really find anything. Try Google. You can't really find anything. We kind of get rid of the friction and we help you find if you want to get on travel podcasts, business podcasts, aid podcasts. I've been on a few of those. This will help you do it. And we offer a free program. If you work for a charity or a charitable organization, we don't charge you. So you just email us and we're like, we'll give you a free account so you can spread the word of whatever good you're doing um, for free. That's awesome. Awesome. Love well, that. it worked because you so found cool. us. Yeah, there you go. There <laughs> yeah, you go. Awesome. <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll make sure that we put all the links to that in the episode description and also in our show notes at notsobonvoyage.com. And we want to thank you, Ray, one more time for coming on and having a chat with us. It was yeah, awesome. Really yeah. fun. Thank you, It was Ray. a pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Bye. Alrighty, Voyagers, you just heard another amazing Voyager chat from Ray Blakeney. Uh, as I said, we will put all the links to what Ray's working on in the show notes and also in the episode description so you can go and check that out. Yeah, and it was awesome talking to Ray about uh, being a Peace Corps volunteer. We haven't had a Peace Corps volunteer chat with us yet, so that was really cool. No, and we've met a lot of Peace Corps volunteers over the years, and I'm sure Peace Corps volunteers have a lot of stories of yeah. when things haven't gone right because you basically get thrown into a community where usually like, you wouldn't speak the language, you don't know anything about it, and they're not cities like most of the time. They're rural communities in the middle of nowhere, and you're just like, you're there for two years. If you have been a Peace Corps volunteer and you have a crazy story, hit us up. Maybe we can do a Peace Corps episode. Yeah, that'd be cool. We should actually seek out some more Peace Corps volunteers. I bet you they have some wild stories. I've heard that like Peace Corps volunteer like urban legends amongst the travel community, but who knows if they're true or not. But if somebody has a real true story they can verify, uh, let us know. Yeah, so you can hit us up on the socials at Not So Bon Voyage. We'd love to hear from you. Come and give us a follow. Or if you want to submit your story online, it's at notsobonvoyage.com slash submit. And don't forget, guys, to rate and review and subscribe to the podcast share it with your friends do all the things that make us keep coming back at you week in and week out Alrighty, guys remember as always to stay safe on the road and if you're not make sure you tell us about it Peace. Bye.